0: All right, welcome back everyone to the Pulse Podcast, the podcast of the resident doctors of British Columbia where we talk about all things related to residency in the beautiful province of BC. So my name is Jeff Frost, I am a fourth year resident in physiatry, I am here today in my kitchen, joined by my fridge, I hope you can hear that buzzing noise in the background, and Dr. Sarah Silverberg. Sarah, do you want to introduce yourself?
1: Sure, thanks Jeff. Uh, I'm Sarah Silverberg. I am a first-year resident in pediatrics at the University of British Columbia.
0: Very cool. So, Sarah, I've actually known you for more than one year, despite the fact that you are a first-year resident. So that is kind of our entry into the fact that we are talking about switching programs again. So this will be our second episode in the Switching Programs mini-series we're doing. And like I said in our first episode, I'm really excited to talk about this. Uh, I've personally always found the kind of level of secrecy that surrounds this whole process to be deeply mystifying, and I want to break barriers and get to the bottom of what makes this process so mysterious. So Sarah, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure. So uh, like Jeff alluded to, this is not my first year of residency, despite being a first year resident. I like to call myself a PGY one and a half. Um, I started residency originally as a resident in OBGYN at UBC. And I knew from relatively early on, in, uh, since once I started residency, that I wasn't sure that I was in the right program, and I started trying to look into what does it actually take to transfer programs and start to ask all the questions to myself, you know, if I am not sure that I'm happy in the program that I'm in, where do I think that I'm going to be happy, and how do I start pursuing that, and how do I make that transition, Uh, So I knew Jeff last year uh, while I was going through this process, and I am now working with resident doctors of Canada trying to look at what we can do to make the lives easier for residents that are looking to transfer across the country.
0: That is so interesting. So I, I just want to flag that. I think we're going to have a really great conversation because we're going to cover kind of the personal, what it was like for you to switch, and then also get into more of the systems level stuff, what it means to switch programs. Uh, but before we go any further, my deepest apologies to the obstetrics program. I realize, I now realize, we this is the second resident we're interviewing from the, previously from the obstetrics program that I decided to switch out. I'm sure it has no reflection on the program itself, but um, yeah, my apologies. <laughs> I'll try better to find other guests in the future.
1: Yeah, and my decision to transfer for myself had nothing to do with my uh, with the program at EBC itself, I actually think that this is one of the strongest programs in the country for obstetrics. Um, I think it's a little bit of a coincidence for you that that this has happened.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So if you definitely haven't heard our our first episode in this mini series, I'd recommend you go back and hear what Lena has to say. But it was really interesting. It For her, she really just wanted to pursue her passion, uh, which was doing surgery. And I think the switch made sense for her. And I think, Sarah, it's something similar for you, right?
1: Yeah. You know, I was one of those medical students that had a really hard time narrowing down exactly what it was that I liked. And when I went through clerkship, there were most things that I did like and only a couple things that I could say I probably don't want to do that. And for me, my initial decision to pursue obstetrics was because I thought that I liked both the medical and the surgical and I liked the population. I liked some of the questions it was asking and I had some really good mentors in the field. But by the time I got around to to doing my electives in fourth year and applying through the CARMS process, you know, I wasn't so sure that it was actually the right field for me and that I'd really liked some other fields as much or maybe even more, but I hadn't had an opportunity to pursue electives in them or to submit an application. And after I matched the CARMS, I was actually doing a two-month elective in pediatrics to finish off medical school, and I found myself really enjoying all of it. And so by the time I started residency and got to have a rotating internship as the basis of my first year of obstetrics, I found that I liked my medical rotations more than I liked my surgical rotations. And I didn't love my obstetrics rotations, uh, and I found myself missing some of those other pieces. And, you know, for me, I kind of gravitated towards uh, internal medicine and pediatrics and thinking more seriously as to whether I would want to maybe pursue one of those instead, if I would be happier in 10 years from now pursuing one of those fields instead. Uh, In the medical fields, I really liked the types of decision-making and the teamwork and the uh, atmosphere of hospital-based ward medicine, and I found myself missing some of those medical pieces when I was on my obstetrics rotations, and I really liked working with the population and getting to spend a little bit more time with a lot of the patients that I was seeing and getting to know them over a longer period of time. And for me, I really liked the tie-in to, uh, to advocacy and to academic medicine and and trying to find a little bit more of a balance between the different parts of medicine that really excite me.
0: Cool. There's a lot to unpack there, but uh, obviously a well-thought-out decision. Uh, I, the one thing that I just want to start the conversation with, because it's something that's now come up twice, and I don't think we did a good enough job of highlighting this with Lena, but... The reality of medical education in Canada is that we rotate through a bunch of different options as medical students in our clinical years, and then quite quite honestly, because of the difficulty of getting a position through CARMS, we're forced to make a decision with incomplete information. Like me personally, I decided I was going to be a physiatrist almost like two months into medical school, and realistically, I didn't really have complete information when making that decision. So right off the bat, I want to highlight that if anyone ever thinks about switching, it's, it shouldn't be a big deal. Like if you started doing something, you thought it was cool, and then you did some other things which were even cooler, that's okay. Like there's no, I don't think we should associate any stigma to that. And I find sometimes these conversations can be difficult because I think there is a subtle subtext of stigma, which I think is totally unfair. And I don't know what you think of that
1: yeah I think it's a complicated issue because people transfer for a lot of different reasons. I think the you know looking at surveys that have been done in the past, uh, the experience of myself and the experience of Lena and of many other residents, this not sure that it's the right field or your career interests end up changing is usually the most common reason for pursuing a transfer. But I think where there's sometimes stigma attached to it is that residents pursue transfers for a variety of different reasons. sometimes residents, decide to transfer based on personal circumstances or uh, big changes in their life. Sometimes residents transfer because of harassment or bullying or uh, increasing difficulty staying in the field that they initially pursued. And sometimes there's a very amicable departure from a program, and sometimes there's a little bit more animosity, I think, that residents face when they leave a program. And I think it's when we're talking about some of those other contexts that you can see a little bit more stigma but the reality is, is that we know that you know, up to 10% of residents consider a transfer at some point in their residency, and whether that's a result of them feeling quite burnt out in the field that they're in, or evolving interests, or gaining more complete information about a variety of fields. But it's difficult to pick one thing and to stick to it for the rest of your career. And I think that's something that North America does differently than most of the world's me- medical education.
0: Yeah, totally. And e- even... Looking at North America, it's unique to physicians, right? Like we don't force nurses to become a certain kind of nurse right out of nursing school. Uh, They get a chance to try different things and then subspecialize as they see fit over the course of their career. So it it is an interesting paradigm. I mean, it's a system we have, so we all have to learn to live within it. And I think for the majority of us, you said 10% of people consider switching. So I mean, the inverse of that is for 90% of the people, it does kind of work out. So, you know, we, we do have to highlight that number as well. Oh, my fridge has stopped buzzing. How wonderful. (laughs) So, I I mean, that brings us back to your case, though. So it sounds like you switched because you felt you had evolving interests and you really wanted to focus on, you mentioned many things, but things that were present in the field of pediatrics more so than in obstetrics, obstetrics and gynecology. Would that be a fair kind of summary?
1: Yeah, I think I was more interested in more of the questions that were being asked in pediatrics, the approach to pediatrics, and the type of medicine that you get to work with in pediatrics.
0: Ah, that's cool. And so that I guess brings me to my next point, which we asked Lena about. But did you find transferring difficult?
1: So I, th- talking to residents across the country, I think that I probably had one of the smoothest transitions. Uh, in my transfer compared to almost anyone else that I've spoken to. I initially wasn't entirely sure what field would make me happiest so I reached out to a couple of different programs at UBC and I explained the situation that I was in and how I was feeling and explored the opportunity of transfer to a couple of different programs even though as I was reaching out to those different programs I think I had become pretty set that I wanted to transfer to pediatrics but I was looking trying to get as much information as I could about as many options as I could, because I was no longer bound by the very rigid CARMS algorithm and timelines that I had in fourth year. And I had the opportunity to move around one or two of my blocks in first year while I was still an obstetrics resident to try to explore some other fields that I was thinking about to help me more definitively rule them in or out to myself. And I reached out to the PGME office at UBC and had a fairly pleasant conversation with them about the transfer process. And they kind of left me to speak to the programs that I was interested in on my own and see what information I could get.
0: That's great. So starting, like, I really want to start with the process because that's the thing that mystifies me. So what was your understanding of the process? How does one transfer programs?
1: That's a great question, and I think that's one of the big black boxes that cause residents a lot of anxiety when they know that they might be unhappy in the field that they're currently in. There's only a couple of stipulations around whether a resident is on paper eligible for transfer or not, and so some of those things, like you have to have been in your current program for a minimum of six months, and I believe you have to have certain stipulations on your contract, so most CMGs would be would appropriately qualify. I think it's difficult, more difficult if you have a return of service. But the process for me really was to reach out to PGME and to sort of get the tick box that I could ask these questions around a transfer. I actually reached out to my program earlier on, even before I had confirmed a spot in a new program, telling them, you know, I'm not sure that I'm happy in the program. What can we do to try to help me figure out if this program is right for me? And I was lucky. I had a very supportive program director in obstetrics and gynecology, and he really just wanted to figure out what would be best for all of us as individuals. And so he helped me move around a couple of my rotations to try to help me get more experience in places I wanted to get experience in. And then I reached out to the programs that I was interested in talking to. So I reached out to the pediatrics program director mm-hmm. and just asked them to chat.
0: Cool. And so back <laughs> to kind of the rules around transferring, uh, you know, I've, <clears> always, I've always heard this rumor that you can only transfer from like to like. So if you're in a five-year residency program, you can only transfer to a five-year program, two-year to two-year, although I guess there's only one two-year program. But you get, you get, you get my flow there. So was that something that came up when you talked to PGME?
1: What I should clarify is that funding is tied to a residency seat, not to a resident. So individual residents do not have funding. So I do not have five years of funding. My spot in obstetrics and gynecology has five years of funding attached to it. So... When you think of it in that way, I don't believe there is a hard and fast restriction on transferring from programs of different lengths. And for example, I transferred to pediatrics, which really is only a four-year program.
0: Right. But does that mean then that there needs to be a spot for you to transfer into? In other words, pediatrics had to be missing a resident for you to even have the opportunity to transfer into it
1: this is a more complicated question that there isn't a clear answer to uh, or not one that PGme has been open about I believe that PGme is able has some flexibility in its funding to move around finances to support residents and or programs might have enough funding sitting around from residents who are on leave from residents who are on maternity leave from various, different reasons where they might be able to support an additional resident. For me, the pediatrics did not have an open spot for a Canadian medical graduate, but because they will sometimes take extra residents from outside of Canada, they had the training capacity to take me on. And somewhere behind the scenes, the finances for my transfer were worked out.
0: Interesting. But to you as the resident, you're not really sure how that financial squabble got settled.
1: And I was never asked to sort out that financial piece. This is different from residents in other provinces where sometimes it is more clear that there is not any financial support available for them. Mm. And this is where some residents might pursue going through the second round of CARMS to acquire funding for a spot. Because again, that funding would be tied to that open spot in the second round.
0: Okay, so sorry, I didn't know that was a thing. So there's some people who are currently in residency and voluntarily... Choose to re enter the beast that is CARMS just so they can get funding for a program?
1: Yep. So there is a certain number of residents every year that enter the second round of CARMS to try to acquire new funding tied to a new seat.
0: That is shocking. CARMS was terrible. <laughs> but uh, I, I, sorry, I want to clarify that point. So does it, the second I do that, I re enter CARMS trying to get a second round spot. Do I then give up my currency? Nope. Okay, so I hold on to my current funding until new arrangements are made.
1: Exactly. Okay,
0: that's very interesting. Um, Not really something that happens in BC, though.
1: Not something that I am aware of someone doing in BC, but I, as you alluded to earlier, most people that transfer don't tend to be too out in the open about it, so I'm sure there probably is someone who has done this, but isn't very open about sharing, or I just haven't reached out to them.
0: That's fair. And this was actually a joke I made with Lena when we chatted with her. I called it the Voldemort of medical education <clears throat> because it does seem like anytime you bring up transferring, everyone kind of looks at you sideways like you mm-hmm. said something you really shouldn't say. So, yeah, I just kind of throwing it out to you. What do you think? Why do you think is that? We've t- touched on this a little, but what do you think really drives that um, sense of impropriety around the word transferring?
1: I think medicine has a very strong in culture of as soon as you're part of a tribe, there's a lot of pressure to stay with the tribe and to embody some of the characteristics that we apply to them. So we love to hate on other specialties and talk about how, oh, pediatrics is super anal and, you know, they take forever to get things done and surgeons don't really care about, you know, what's going on with the patient or there's all sorts of these, you know, ridiculous stigma that we apply to one another. And I think for similar reasons, we also tend to look down on people and we feel hurt when people say, you know, I don't think that I want to do what you do. Because in some ways, that's what a resident who's transferring is saying to the program that they're leaving. You know, I thought I wanted to do what you do, but it turns out I don't.
0: Right. So it's just that that almost that feeling of rejection that people nobody wants to experience, either the resident leaving the program or the program itself who is le- losing a resident. I get that social construct. I just am aware through, you know, my own personal interactions with other residents that sometimes leaving is the right thing to do for all parties involved. And I do, in my heart of hearts, wish that this was an easier conversation to be had, especially for residents who need to change programs. For whatever whatever the underlying need is, it doesn't really matter, but just the fact that they need to change, I think there needs to be an opportunity to have that discussion.
1: And I think that if there were more clear processes for how one goes about transferring and a clear understanding of the process, it might be less taboo and less scary to talk about.
0: I I couldn't agree more. That's kind of one of the things I want to highlight with this little mini series is that sometimes the processes aren't always clear. And we've already stumbled upon one thing, this concept of whether or not you need to move into an open spot. Like, what, are we playing musical chairs or not? Uh, and it sounds like that's not totally clear. Would it would it be fair for me to summarize that way?
1: Yeah, that's not totally clear.
0: Yeah, and I could see that discouraging someone from pursuing the transfer process for sure. Was there any other part of the process that made you think like, huh, I don't understand what's going on or I'm no longer in control of this this machine?
1: I think the challenge with transferring is that it feels very nebulous. There aren't clear timelines. There There isn't a clear understanding of what criteria I need to meet in order to transfer or in order for a program to take me. And when there's these unclear questions about how do I get funding? Will there be funding for me? How do I act on getting myself funding, where often there's nothing that the resident is able to do? I think residents will often feel very powerless when they're trying to transfer. And I think that can very easily feed into anxiety, depression, burnout, which residents that are thinking about transfer are probably already experiencing.
0: Yeah, that's a very fair point. Um, so I guess to kind of circle on that, you felt you were unsure about how some of the backroom maneuvers were were going to play out. Like you didn't know if there would be funding for you to transfer into pediatrics.
1: Yeah, so I did not know that there would be funding for me to transfer into pediatrics until the pediatrics program got back to me and said, "We will be we will be able to take you if you'd like to come.
0: Right. So in the meantime, while you're waiting for that email, you're kind of just in like a nebulous... Purgatory state.
1: Yep, and you have to continue on in your current program, and you probably aren't sharing with anyone else that you're working with. You're not sharing this with your day to day preceptors. That this is everything that's going on in the back of your mind.
0: Right. So, I mean, that's 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 a load to carry for sure, and not an easy mental load, I would imagine. So, I guess maybe hit me with like the top three things you wish you had known about transferring before you decided to embark on the process.
1: So three things that I think I wish I would have known is that often programs can be supportive of you and helping you make that transition. So I found my old program to be very supportive of me as a resident, even if I wasn't necessarily going to be a resident in their field. And that people were very understanding when I said, you know, that I am leaving the program and that I'm pursuing something different is that. Most of the time, I found very understanding people on the other end of that conversation. And so you're not always going to face animosity when you talk about a transfer. And I think decreasing anxiety around that is really important to know when you're if you're thinking that you're not happy in your program. I think the second thing to know is that transferring can take time. And often we don't work on a very condensed timeline. Certainly, you can feel longer than the CARMS process. And so often your a transfer application might have to go through a residency training committee, which might only meet a couple of times a year. And so you might be waiting a couple of months before you hear back from a program as to whether they're willing to accept your transfer or not. So I think knowing that there's going to be patience and knowing that you're going to have to be patient while waiting to hear back would be good for residents that are thinking about a transfer to know. And I think the third thing for residents to think about when they're thinking about transferring is that you don't is that there are many valid reasons for wanting to transfer and not everyone's reason for transfer is going to be the same and your reason for transferring might be different than someone else's but that doesn't mean that your reason is invalid and it doesn't mean that you shouldn't open up those conversations because the worst thing that's going to happen is that a program that you're potentially interested in might say no. And that just gives you an opportunity to problem solve and to figure out, you know, what is it that really matters to you, and how can you find other opportunities to make that work.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a personal decision at the end of the day. One thing I wanted to dive into just around your level of knowledge as the transfer process was occurring. Uh, You mentioned at the start of this episode that you consider yourself a a one and a half, an R one and a half. So I take that to mean that you are currently paid as an R one and that you're expecting to complete three more years of residency. So you didn't gain, you lost time effectively, you lost the first year of your residency. Are both of those assumptions correct?
1: Both of those assumptions are correct. So I am currently paid as an R1, because I'm listed in RMS as an R1. But I was able to claim some credit from my first year. And that is a discussion to be had with between a resident and the program that they're transferring into. And so I was able to gain credit for a couple of the pediatrics blocks that I had done did during my first year of residency. And we had an open discussion around whether I would want to count some of my additional time in residency as electives towards my ultimate Royal College. And that's a personal decision to have with your program.
0: Cool, cool. And As you were going through the process, was it clear to you that you were going to be made an R1 and you would have to repeat time? So salary not going up a year and time had to be repeated?
1: That was made fairly clear to me uh, when I was looking at what a transfer to pediatrics would look like and what my upcoming rotations would look like.
0: And was that at all discouraging? Did that make you think like, oh, one more year of training, not interested
1: To me, having an extra year of training was worth it in order to ultimately pursue the field that I thought I would be happy in in 20 years from now. And, you know, as someone that started residency probably on the younger side, it just gives me one more year of experience and gives me some extra knowledge in areas that are not totally unrelated. Um, The pay is a little bit discouraging because I have given time to the system and I am continuing to give more time to the system, but... Ultimately, it's one of those things where it's, you know, the transfer was worth more to me than the year of salary upgrade. Yeah,
0: that's true. And I guess to be very crude, I think it's a $5,000 difference, right? So you got to ask yourself, does $5,000 matter in a 30 or 35 year career arc? Personally, it wouldn't matter to me. But again, that's a personal decision, I guess. One thing I wanted to talk about with everyone was what was the social pressure like? I think Lena and I spent a lot of time talking about this because I felt, again, I haven't gone through the process, but my assumption going in going into it that probably the worst part about transferring would be all the social pressure. And I mean from everyone, from your family, from peers in your current program, from people in your new program. Like, What was that like?
1: I think for me, the hardest social time was between the time that I knew that I had been accepted to transfer, which for me was in about April of last year and when, and when I started my new program and when the rest of the residents from my new program would be joining. So for me, that period between April and July was a little bit isolating, where my peers from residency were all celebrating the end of a year and upgrade to new responsibilities and a new level of, and that they were graduating onto R2, where I was graduating onto R1. And so that was a little bit awkward, a little bit isolating, you know, I certainly not great for for one's self-esteem that you're going back to R1. Um, And when I didn't really have a cohort that had joined me yet or that knew me, you know, I don't really fit in as well with my previous cohort because I had told them I was leaving, but I didn't yet have a new cohort. So you kind of end up in this netherworld between two residency programs Now that I'm more than six months beyond the transfer, I don't feel that isolation quite as much anymore. I've even gotten some friendly hellos and a hug from staff from my previous program who are just happy that I'm happy where I'm at now. And I now have a whole new cohort of residents that are supportive and great.
0: Yeah. And you know, that was one thing Lena said that I want to highlight because I think it's hopefully it's helpful. I don't know who needs to hear this as the meme goes but someone out there needs to hear this. And that's that I think the reasonable reaction to someone wanting to switch is do what's right for you. Like nobody wants you to do a residency program that you despise and nobody wants you to enter a career that you're not going to find joy in and not going to want to practice in. Um, so I think we should all expect that the, the reasonable response, which you won't always get, but the reasonable response would be do what's right for you, even if that means switching.
1: Yeah, because residency is a couple years of your life, but your career is your career. And I think it's important to think about where do you want to be when you're 50? Where do you want to be when you're 60? Where do you want to be at the end of your career?
0: Great segue. Where do you want to be when you're 60, Sarah? (laughs) 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 On that note, so this is not a good transfer. I, I try and pride myself on good segues, good transfers. But Sarah, you are involved with the Resident Doctors of Canada Uh, around this issue, around the the idea of transferring programs. So maybe you can just give us an introduction to what that project is and what you're trying to achieve with it.
1: So Resident Doctors of Canada, which is our National Residency Association, has been trying to work on how do we make transfers better for residents. And there's a couple of different pieces of that. The first is trying to work with postgraduate medical education, working with our deans to try to clarify some of those processes so that residents actually know what to expect when they're trying to think about a transfer. And the bigger question that resident doctors of Canada has been asking is whether there should be a broader national transfer system that in some way creates a more equitable way to transfer for residents across the country that provides more transparency to residents across the country and that might more easily facilitate transfers for residents, you know, both within their own schools, but also between schools, if that is the right thing for them to do. And some of the thoughts around that are if there are spots open or if there is potential funding available in at another school in a particular field that someone is interested in, would, you know, is there a way that we can facilitate helping a, ranf- a resident transfer into that spot?
0: So, and you can have this name, you want to create a TARMS, a transfer resident matching system?
1: I wouldn't quite go that far, but that's certainly a question that is on the table. So resident doctors of Canada is just putting out a set of national, resident doctors of Canada is putting out a set of principles of what a national transfer system should abide by. And some of those principles are around transparency, transparency. equity, equity, accessibility, and really just trying to preserve the residents' right to transfer without them facing harassment and stigma.
0: Cool. Now, for everyone who is at home listening to Sarah's very professional answers, I was laughing really hard at my own name there, and Sarah was not having any of it. She has maintained her professionalism here. (laughs) But this is really kind of groundbreaking stuff, because I've definitely heard of residents who would like to transfer provinces, so to speak. So take my own personal case, I was, I'm from Ontario, I was raised in Toronto, I moved to British Columbia for residency, but who knows, like maybe my mom, who's, you know, not a spring chicken anymore, got sick, and I would want to move back to Toronto to be near my mom. The idea of transferring in that case, to me would seem logical, but I would have no idea how to go about achieving it. And I actually do know someone in my own personal circle who who did this, they matched to a certain province. They had a family crisis that they wanted to be around for and switched to another province. Same program, but other province, just so they could be around their family. And I'm just thinking there's, you know, an infinite universe of possibilities where a provincial transfer makes sense and is in everyone's best interest. But I can't even begin to imagine how you would go about doing it today. So it's really neat that you guys are trying to tackle this problem.
1: And... Although this is not a problem in British Columbia, where we only have one university, for residents that are in provinces like Alberta or Ontario that have more than one university in the province, there's even incredible difficulty trying to transfer from one school to another, even though they're in the same province. So there's a lot of stipulations around transfers that are unclear to lots of residents, even if they don't necessarily apply to us here, that that we were thinking on a national level really need to be ironed out and need to be clarified.
0: That is very interesting. Like, it's really neat that you brought that up. I never would have thought that a transfer from MAC to U of T, and for those of you who don't know the geography involved, that's like a 60-kilometer drive down the highway, uh, could be logistically impossible. That's interesting to think of, Um, and it's, it's a neat thing, I think. Like, I'm cheering you guys on from the sidelines here. Because I think it would be great if it was very clear, like, you know, we have a spot open in Toronto for orthopedic surgery, and I'm a resident in physiatry in UBC, and I decide, you know what, I really want a more surgical approach to MSK medicine. I look on my little matching system, I know you said you didn't want to go there, but my eventual matching system, and see that that is an option for me. And it just changes my approach to the problem.
1: And one of the other things that you brought up earlier was the thought about residents switching or, tra- or switching with each other. And currently, it's probably nearly impossible to figure out how to logistically do that with another resident. But if we were to take all the residents in the country that we're considering a transfer, there might actually be more opportunity for movement if we're starting to see opportunities to switch. And especially when we're thinking about bigger programs like residents that are in things like family medicine or internal medicine, where it's not uncommon in any given year to see residents going back and forth between those two programs. How do we facilitate that so that everyone winds up in a field that ultimately they're going to be happy practicing in for the next 30, 40 years?
0: Right. So instead of playing a chaotic game of musical chairs, let's have an orderly game of these are the seats available on the left, these are the seats available on the right, and let's all get in a seat that makes sense for us. Exactly. And I mean, that just, I mean, it's one of those things that when you say it out loud, it's, so reasonable. It's shocking. It doesn't yet exist. But I want to kind of step back and ask why doesn't it exist? And I can think of a reason why PGME specifically wouldn't want this to exist. And and if it became easy to transfer programs to the point where I could just kind of do it on a lark, I could see the fear from PGME being that too many people would be transferring all the time Extending residencies, creating a bit of chaos in each program, especially small programs where there might only be ten residents. You've got two residents coming in and out every year. It just kind of rocks the boat. And I could see that being a a a fear, and potentially a very legitimate fear about how it would impact the residency experience for everyone who's staying in their own programs. I don't know if that's come up in your discussions at Resident Doctors in Canada.
1: Yeah. So I think when. We open up, when we increase the ease of transferring, there's always the fear and the potential for more residents to be able to transfer than they than were previously able. Some of that might speak to a legitimate need that is present for residents that feel stuck in a program that they're not entirely happy with, but either don't want to take all the effort that it takes to transfer because it does take quite a bit of effort or don't know how to even go about doing so, or aren't able to they ask to transfer and they're not able to. So I think that there is going to ultimately have to be some sort of balance between balancing the needs of programs and the reality that we are employees and we provide some service to keep the care of British Columbia and that we keep healthcare in British Columbia running but also trying to be more equitable to residents who do actually want to transfer and so I think there are two main reasons why there has not been more movement towards a national transfer system. I think the first is the all the stipulations around residency funding, because if you remember, the funding for residency seats actually comes from the province. Every province has its own regulations around the money allocated to those seats and what they can and cannot be used for. And there are negotiations between PGME and the government and our program directors every year to try to allocate seats for residency that fit the needs of Canadians and that fit the needs of medical students. So there's a lot of different competing interests in determining what money goes to what seats. So trying to iron out some of the funding pieces with those stakeholders, with the government, with PGME, and with programs is going to be really important in moving forward in trying to develop an easier national transfer system. And I think the other piece is around how do we find that, how do we strike that balance between the needs of residents and the needs of programs?
0: Yeah, for sure. And there, there is a balance there. Like programs do have needs. We need to be upfront about that, even though from my perspective now, I'm very biased in thinking about the residents' needs first. So Sarah, this has been a, an interesting conversation, uh, seriously interesting. Um, but I'm kind of out of questions, but I do know that you have something important to tell us. So I'm just going to sit back, turn the sound off my mic, and hit me with the facts.
1: Yeah, so Resident Doctors of Canada has been trying to figure out the best way to advocate for residents who are going through the transfer process. And one of the areas that we don't have enough information about is trying to get a broader array of experiences from residents themselves, including residents who have transferred in the past and who are now happily in another program residents who are currently trying to navigate the transfer process and figure out what they need to do or how they can be successful in pursuing a transfer, and residents that are thinking about a transfer right now but haven't necessarily acted on it. So I know that Resident Doctors of Canada is interested in hearing from residents in all of these different categories and trying to capture what your experiences are and what the challenges that residents face in those different areas to try to advocate on their behalf not to try to help an individual resident succeed in their transfer but more to identify what the barriers are that residents are facing and to try to help create a system that addresses some of those barriers and makes it easier for residents down the line. So we're looking at more of like a you know five plus year timeline and ultimately solving the problem but we need to take some slow and steady steps to get there.
0: Cool. Yeah, yeah let's make this nebulous process less nebulous.
1: Transparency is my favorite principle for transfers going forward.:
0: Yeah, and I think I can jump on this like not having any experience of trans- of transferring, but I can say that when we negotiated our contract with the government, renegotiated our contract with the government, the one stumbling block that came up over and over and over again was the bureaucrats would ask, "Sure, you say that you're being scheduled for too much call or you're staying too late in the hospital?" but where's the data? And that's a fair question for a bureaucrat to ask. And the honestly, the answer is often, well, we don't actually have the data. We all just talk about it in call rooms or we talk about it in the resident lounge. And the bureaucratic answer to that is, that's not good enough. We need information to make system level change. So if this is something that matters to you or it's something you've experienced, I really encourage you to take the time to fill out this survey. Even though time is short as a resident, because it's only through gathering data that we can make system level change. So awesome job that you guys are doing this survey, and I hope it does make someone's transfer process in the future more transparent and equitable. I forget your third buzzword. Please insert it now.
1: <laughs> and accessible.
0: Accessible. That was it. Awesome. Um, but yeah, no, I think you know there, is, there are changes to be made for sure. So Sarah, thank you very much for coming to join us. Any closing words?
1: Thanks for having me, Jeff. You know, the transfer the transfer process can be scary and daunting and feel like a big black box, but know that with some patience and with some time, it can sometimes work out, and you just have to have a little bit of faith in yourself and some optimism for the system to make it happen.
0: Cool. Uh, so thank you very much, everyone, for joining us. I apologize. I, I realized throughout this episode there's been random noises coming in and out. We do what we can in my kitchen to minimize noise, but... Life is what it is. And both Sarah and I have had our pagers go off multiple times, although you won't have heard that. Uh, but So it's made the conversation a little disjointed, but such is the life of a resident. So thank you very much for struggling with, through with us. And I really hope you got something out of this. I know I did. Uh, get a lot out of my conversation with Sarah. So thank you everyone for joining us. We'll catch you on the next episode.